Episode 74, Terry Iverson, President and CEO at Iverson and Company. And so that was the first time I really uh, understood that you could disappoint other people and you have to think beyond just yourself. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and more, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake 74. Please follow, rate, and review, and please consider sharing this episode on social media. Share it with a friend or a colleague. Thanks. Our guest today is Terry Iverson. He is the president and CEO at Iverson and Company. He's the author of a book titled Finding America's Greatest Champion, Building Prosperity Through Manufacturing, Mentoring, and the Awesome Responsibility of Parenting. And he's also the founder of the Champion Now Foundation. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, so what is your favorite mistake, Terry? Well, this is a kind of an interesting topic. Uh, I'm going to come back and say that I have two that I learned early in life uh, quite a bit from. And so uh, with your permission, I'll, I'll go into two. Go right ahead. Yeah. So the first mistake that I really, I even write about it in my book is that I was in uh, my junior year of high school and I went to a very uh, high level uh, prep school and I was taking AP physics at the time and and I was an athlete also. And uh, I worked about 20 hours a week uh, at the same time. So I I was pretty busy and I had to have a little bit of spending money. Right. And so um, I I had to work the night before an AP physics test and I didn't study at all. uh, Truth be told. And uh, my teacher came back and laid the paper on my desk, and it was a 50, as in 50%. <laughs> and uh, although I'm not proud of the fact, uh, it didn't surprise me, so I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. So afterwards, my AP physics teacher said, Terry, well, you know what this means, right? And I said, um, well, I got to do better. I know that. He goes, no, this means that, that you, you'll be academically ineligible. And uh, I played football, but I also played soccer, and I was the leading scorer on the soccer team. And and you know, obviously, your teammates and your family and your you know members of your company depend on you. And so that was the first time I really uh, understood that you could disappoint other people, and you have to think beyond just yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, um, my teacher was he went by the uh, nickname of Boo Boo. <laughs> And I said, boo-boo, we have an AP test on Thursday, right? He goes, yeah, you know that. And I said, okay. And I said, well, could you grade it for me Thursday night or Thursday afternoon so that Friday I would know if I was able to be eligible? He said, sure. He says, but Terry, you'd have to make a 95 to be eligible. And I'm like, okay. So uh, I couldn't work, you know, that Wednesday or Thursday, uh, for obvious reasons. And I did study and and I understood it and I made a 97. So I was academically uh, eligible and was never academically ineligible. And I learned a valuable lesson that day about people depending on you, whether it's in your family or uh, your team, teammates or your company. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that resonated me, with me for years on end. Yeah. So um, to, to, to delve into that a little bit, and thank you for, for sharing that story. I mean, how would you frame the lesson learned? I mean, you know, there's, there's the one level of you've got to study before a test, but it sounds like there was a deeper lesson about uh, priorities. You mentioned working to, to want some spending money, which, you know, we all did as students, um, personal priority versus commitment to others. Maybe if you could elaborate on that and how that lesson has maybe shaped um, the rest of your education and then into your career. Well, actually, it shaped the rest of my life. Um, you know, I was always taught, Mark, that, you know, accountability was was paramount. And I was always taught by my parents and, and my uh, mom and my dad that, you know, when people depend on you, you know, that's that's quite a uh, uh, the gravity of it. You need to re- understand that. And so it did. It framed a lot of things. I knew uh, going forward that friends, when friends or teammates depended on me, that I was there to be dependent on. And then, uh, you know, going into, you know, being a husband and, and being a, a father uh, and now a grandfather, that, you know, that has continued on my whole life. So, uh, but in, in companies, people depend on you. And as the leader of a company or our company, uh, I realized that and I have to be there for my, my employees, for my customers. And, you know, it's a simple lesson that, uh, you know, sometimes students don't, uh, you know, get or just don't learn. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, when they said I couldn't play and, and I was going to disappoint my teammates, that really resonated for the rest of my life. Sure. And, you know, looking back to the, you know, the subtitle of your book, it includes the awesome responsibility of parenting. So I'm curious then as a parent, where do you find the balance? Like what point can you sort of try to tell, teach these lessons to, to your kids by telling them versus uh, they've got to live that on their own and, and perhaps make a mistake that's a more, is that a more powerful learning opportunity through experience? Well, I think experiences are always, no matter what we're talking about, whether it be family or, or, or you know, athletics and teams or companies and careers. Uh, learning firsthand experiences are always the best. You can tell people and you can tell your children, you can tell your employees, but until they actually experience it, uh, that's when they really learn it. Now, I was really fortunate in this regard in that uh, I didn't even have to pay the true price that I probably should have paid, right? Yeah. And uh, because I had a mentor, my, my AP physics and calculus teacher, and he, he cared about me and he gave me the opportunity to do right. And uh, not always do you get a chance to, to make right and, uh, and, and learn a lesson at the same time. Yeah, I'm saying give me another chance. You got that, that chance, that makeup exam. And, and I, I know you heard the episode, Terry, but back in episode five, um, Billy Taylor told it wasn't his main uh, favorite mistake, but along the lines of respecting standards and being taught about standards. He told the story, he was uh, in middle school actually, and he did badly on an exam. And as, as he recounted, he was eligible by the school's standard, but it didn't live up to his mother's standard, which, you know, she, she pulled him out of um, a big game. And, you know, I guess it goes to show maybe kind of, you know, fun, final follow-up question here, you know, that, that sports as, as a kid, I played on the tennis team in high school um, I, I was in marching band through high school and college. Those were probably my primary experiences with responsibility to others. Um, so I was, I was curious if you have any other thoughts on you know, the power of sports. It's not just about 
physical activity and keeping in shape, is it? Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Um, I was an athlete uh, all growing up, uh, even after um, I was an, a grown adult and a father. Uh, I was uh, an athlete as well. But there's so many lessons uh, in, in hiring for the company. Um, I long to hire athletes, to interview and hire athletes, because you learn um, discipline and you learn accountability and you learn um, you know, that you have to practice your craft, right. And to get good at it. So athletes, um, you know, I'm not saying that everyone has to be an athlete, uh, for every position, but you know what you're getting in terms of character, or at least you think you do. Yeah. Um, in interviewing so hard, Mark, to really in a short period of time to really understand what people are made of from a character standpoint, mm-hmm. that that's just one insight that if they were a successful athlete and they stuck with it, that speaks volume yeah. before even before they even open your mouth, you at least know something about them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, what, Terry, what was the second story that you wanted to tell us? This was from more than um, the early part of your career in the working world. It was, it was, um, speaking of standards uh, that you had mentioned your previous guest of the previous episode about his mom, uh, my dad has had and has extremely high standards. To the point that as a young man coming out of, out of college or in the middle of college, I wasn't sure that I could work for him, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And so early in my career, um, I was working for my dad. And I think I was at an auction, I think, you know, in the very beginning of me learning the auction business. And, uh, you know, I stepped away. We didn't have cell phones. So I went to a payphone and actually missed a machine that I was supposed to bid on. And uh, he had asked me to do it. and I failed. So I, I was really uh, distraught because I, I literally was about to disappoint uh, my boss and my dad. And I don't know about you, but you know, disappointment uh, from your children to you or from, from you to your parents is probably the strongest motivating uh, emotion you could have. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I was talking to one of my coworkers and I was just literally beside myself. I couldn't function. And it, it was a crossroads of me understanding that I was really limiting how I could grow and I was limiting how I could help my, my business, my, my dad's business, and, and be a very, very productive employee. So my mentor at the time who retired and just passed away, uh, John Comparini, he passed away uh, just recently, unfortunately, but he was with us for 45 years. And he said, and he said these words, and I'll never forget these words. He said, Terry, you know, I've never made a decision that at the time I made it, I thought was wrong. And he said, uh, he says, if you have all the information and and you make a decision, you're making the right decision. You don't make a decision thinking it's the wrong decision. And that resonated with me. And it basically gave me the confidence to say, all right, you know, own up to your mistake and, 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 you know, let it pass, but learn something by it. And so uh, his words that were in somewhat regards to that situation, but much more so going forward, that look, you're going to make the best decision possible. And your dad or your boss, uh, he may not have all those that information and certainly won't at the time, but you made the best decision you could at that given time. Mm-hmm. And so those words of advice and, and of wisdom just literally was another turning point for me to turn the corner into 
a productive employee and a productive business and, and career, uh, you know, member. And, uh, and, and I'll never forget those words. Yeah. So, and, and what was it again that you said you, you, you went away to make a phone call that, that, that seemed like it was necessary or that was, well, the decision and, the it, and it probably, it wasn't, it was a poor decision. Oh. It was a poor decision on my part because, you know, I was very new to the business and, and it was, I was very new to the whole, you know, how does an auction work type thing. And so I just stepped away and I came back and they had gone right by the piece of equipment that I was supposed to look at. So I had to fess up and, you know, tell the truth, which that's a whole nother thing I'll talk a little bit about. Uh, And I tell my dad that, you know, I I screwed up and uh, I thought I had time and I thought I thought I had to make this important phone call. And uh, this is once again before cell phones. And uh, the reality is, you know, that could have waited. And, uh, and, you know, I tried to, uh, to think I, I knew all the, the facts that I needed to make that uh, decision. And, and I was, I was wrong. So, and, and that's one of the themes that comes across in a lot of the stories, you know, in the episodes here on, on my favorite mistake is, you know, fessing up to the mistake or, or creating a culture within an, or within an organization uh, where, where people don't hide or cover up mistakes sort of to state it in the opposite. It can be a mistake to hide the mistake. Oh, times layers mistake on top of mistake, right? The one one of the things, Mark, that I'll say is that uh, you know I talk to a lot of young people around the country, and uh, and I, I I give them very little advice, and I say, look, if there's one thing that you listen to uh, that will help you in your career for the rest of your life, arrive early, leave late, and most of all, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's there's simple you know simple concepts. Right. But in uh, in the manufacturing sector, uh, mentors like myself and, and others and my mentor, if you show a little bit of interest and if you show up early and, and are just a sponge for information and then engrossed in the situation, you know, you stay late. So you, you make sure that you have everything that they're trying to, you know, put upon you and, and, and teach you. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the most out of that mentor and they're going to do go well beyond what they would otherwise. Yeah. But most importantly, besides that is tell the truth. Don't try to cover up a mistake. Yeah. Cause then you're, you're making a mistake about a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that could be a different podcast mistakes about mistakes. No, right. <laughs> That's a whole new series, a whole new series. But you know, like, as you were saying, you know, the mistake being a learning opportunity is really, you know, the theme here. It's uh, the, you know, the podcast isn't called beat yourself up. Uh, but, you know, I want to talk more about mentoring in a minute. And, you know, that's part of the subtitle of, of your book. It is. Um, but, you know, to give a little bit of context, you and I have talked before and the audience uh, might not know um, you, the, the family company that you're now a part of. Iverson and company might sound like a, a consulting firm or something, but it's not. So right. <laughs> give a little context about what that business is. Well, <clears throat> we uh, we're about 90 years in uh, as a family business, and this is my 40th year. And we're a machine tool distributor and rebuilding and service company. So we sell machine tools, we service machine tools, uh, we engineer solutions with machine tools, which is the machines themselves. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I'm the third generation uh, president and owner, and uh, my grandfather started it in 1931. Wow. And, and so that's some of the context of the machine that you were at auction uh, to buy. Mm-hmm. Correct. 
Correct. And, and at the time, we, we were just starting, you know, a different business component that uh, is probably more of what we do now uh, than we did then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was learning basically for the company. And so uh, my dad at that time hadn't done a lot of that. So uh, I even felt the, the gravity of the, the weight on my shoulders a little bit more than I probably should have. Yeah. So then you know, I wanted to talk a little bit more about what you learned from that mentor and um, what you've experienced as, as a mentor and someone who advocates for mentoring. Um, can, can you talk maybe a little bit more generally about the role of a mentor, a sounding board or an advisor or whatever you call it, like, you know, to, to help reflect in, in a way that you, that's sometimes difficult to do individually? Well, this is a huge topic that I feel very passionate about. And that when I was a young person, I had many, many mentors. Uh, I didn't grow up in the Chicagoland area where I am now, where my dad resided. I was in Florida with my mom. So I had a lot of mentors that were coaches and teachers and et cetera. But this specific mentor in the company, uh, John, who I, I love dearly, um, he would basically be a sounding board and he would see things with the long-term vision in mind and, and basically like, you know what, you know, how they say this, this too will pass. And that in, in the heat of the moment, when you're so wrapped up and you're so focused on, in which I tend to get very focused on certain circumstances, he said, you know what, you know, in the big scheme of things, just think long-term, make decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the bumps along the way will, will smooth out. And, uh, I can't tell you how many things that John helped me with over the years, uh, over the decades uh, before he retired in the fortunate past. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for you know acknowledging and and actually honoring him for 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 being your mentor. So I'm sorry to hear uh, about his passing. Thank you. Thank you. He's a great man. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit before we wrap up about uh, your book and the foundation. So uh, again, the title of the book is America's Greatest Champion, Building Prosperity Through Manufacturing, Mentoring, and the Awesome Responsibility of Parenting. Um, I always like to ask authors, you know, sort of, you know, why write a book and, you know, what, what, what led to that? It's, you know, such a big undertaking and, and who's the target audience um, for that book? Okay. Well, <clears throat> why write a book? Um, I never really, I always enjoyed writing. I don't enjoy reading. Um, I'm more of an interactive person to person type of individual. Yeah. And um, I became very, very, very entrenched in technical education over the last, this is my 40th year, so probably the last 25 years. And Harry Mosier from the Reshoring Movement, uh, if you know who he know is, he's, yeah. he's a dear acquaintance and friend, and he inspired me to really make a difference with young people. I was already mentoring and coaching. So that was all already uh, well, even before I became a parent, uh, part of my DNA, so to speak, yeah. because I really felt I had to give back as to honor all the you know people that had mentored me. Yeah. But um, having said that, I, I started getting involved in technical education and I got so involved that, you know, I'm like, I can only be at one school or I could only be in front of one student or, you know, at a time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was on a plane trip. There was a 13 hour ride in uh, one way. And fortunately I had a, a plug and a computer and I just started capturing it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then even then it wasn't really a book. Um, it, it was like 50,000, you know, personal opinions and, and information. Yeah. 
But then I realized I had a lot of really interesting people and friends and family members that could really add additional insight. And so uh, I interviewed about 50 people. And, uh, and then I felt that I really had something that was value add. But the, the component about the mentoring and parenting, you know, if I just wrote a book about manufacturing, I didn't feel like it was going to have the, the traction that it really need or needs or needed. Mm-hmm. And so parenting and, and mentoring is so important to me. And I, I really think that there's kind of a crisis in our country in both. Uh, too many parents want to be their their children's best friend and and maybe not hold them accountable, you know, like your previous guest and, and like myself. Uh, our both of our parents hold this very very accountable, and we you know children need that. And then as far as mentoring, uh, we need mentoring more than ever now. You know, we have this this age gap where we have you know old guys like me, you know, with white hair or, or gray hair that are leaving the workforce, whether it be manufacturing or other. And we want to impart our, our knowledge to the next generation. And so um, we have to be open open to mentoring and, and feel that it's the responsible thing to do. But the young person needs to be open to mentoring as well. And then what led to the Champion Now Foundation? What, what's the, the purpose and the mission of the foundation? Well, the champion now, uh, the, the book I self-published in 2018, so that's just about two years from, from this point backwards. Mm-hmm. But in 2012, uh, I was on my way. I was on a uh, CTE Foundation uh, board meeting in D.C. I was on my way, and, and I was trying to figure out some a name of something to make a difference. And champion now, um, ultimately, I, on a uh, napkin on the plane, um, I don't drink on planes and I don't drink hard liquor, but on a napkin, not a cocktail napkin, but a napkin, <laughs> yeah. I started, you know, doing initials and, and abbreviations. And so I was change. Okay. Change, change how, and then manufacturing. So then all of a sudden I had change how manufacturing and then the perceptions. Okay. Well, champ, you know, kind of came to mind. And then I'm like champion What that would be a really cool word. And then I'm like internation. And so, the point is, is there's so many for 40 years now, uh, customers have told me that they're having a tough time getting young people into their careers because of the perceptions of manufacturing careers. And anyone that's in manufacturing knows that yesterday's perception is not today's reality. Right. So that was my intent was change how American manufacturing is perceived in our nation. So it's, it's the longest acronym you'll ever hear, Mark, but, <laughs> but, but it's a positive image, which manufacturing needs and deserves. Uh, young people need a positive, uh, you know, word and name associated with it. Yeah. And then now is the call to action. So in 2012, uh, I filed it as a 501c3 and it's a total intention is to educate, inform and inspire, uh, young people and, and the general public by changing their perceptions of what manufacturing is today. Well, that's great. And that's, that's, I applaud you for that. That's a very important mission. I started my career in manufacturing, you know, as, as an engineer and, you know, even to this day, um, you know, I see where there are technical education opportunities, different career pathways uh, for kids who don't want to do college or don't, don't want to do it right now. Um, you know, there, there are opportunities and, you know, I think, uh, gosh, you're right. We have to change that perception that manufacturing is not 
Homer Simpson and um, other, you know, even though that was a nuclear plant, but you know, the, the, the perception, the negative perception where people look down upon manufacturing jobs. I, I agree, you know, that that's unfortunate and we, we can turn that around and help people see, um, you know, the uh, types of education and the types of skills and, and challenging and, and some, you know, uh, uh, you know, opportunities that there are, um, for kids who want to go down that path. And so I, I, you're, you're the expert on this, though, more than me. So I'll give you the final word on that. Well, I think the only thing I'd want to add is that, you know, it's okay if people look at manufacturing and they say, no, that's not for me. But so few people know uh, anything about manufacturing in our culture. Yeah. And so consequently, if, if you know, 100 people, if only two people know about anything about manufacturing, and after the end of a talk or, or a, a podcast or, or reading a book, you know, you know, 70 or 80 uh, people of the 100 truly understand. And maybe, you know, 45 or, or, or 35 or 45 decided it's for them. Well, it's better than the 98 that didn't know anything about it before that. Right. So I tell people all the time, look, it, you know, young, I do a lot of uh, a lot with internship programs and and. The one last thing that I want to point out is the cost of education in this country. You know, we're really preaching to the minority when it comes to, you know, when it comes to, you know, people going to four and five year college degrees. And, and you know, there's so many parents and young people that are like, what am I going to do? I don't have the money for college or, uh, or I, you know, I have this college loan I have to pay back. I mean, yeah. student debt dilemma and, and crisis in our country is huge. Right. And I, I don't think that there's necessarily a valid reason if you take into account some of these other possibilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, manufacturing is just, you know, dying for people to uh, yearning, I should say, for mm -hmm. people to take note. And and they're very eager to pay for your education. They're very eager to to mentor you. And uh, and there's great careers just waiting. Uh, so the last thing that I'll say that I didn't answer, Mark, is my audience. I have four separate audiences. Uh, I have the, the students, the parents, the guidance counselors and educators, and the industry members. And ultimately, what I hope to do in the next six or eight months is have four smaller versions of this, this particular book, mm -hmm. one for each audience. Yep. And then it becomes a lot more streamlined uh, for each audience. So. That's great. Well, good luck with that next phase in your project and the continuation of your work through the Champion Now Foundation. Um, so our guest today has been Terry Iverson. Again, he's the author of the book, Finding America's Greatest Champion, Building Prosperity Through Manufacturing, Mentoring, and the Awesome Responsibility of Parenting. So um, like you said, Terry, you know, uh, manufacturing as a career is not for everybody, but it's a great option for some. Uh, this podcast, you know, might not be for everybody, but it's a great option for some. And I want to thank the people who are listening. Uh, it's not, um, you know, it comes up in the list um, underneath uh, a wildly popular podcast called My Favorite Murder. That's not for me, but for somebody else. <laughs> Good. So anyway, rambling into an end here. Terry, um, Terry Iverson has been our guest. Terry, thank you so much for, uh, for being here on the show. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your time and the opportunity. I want to thank Terry Iverson for being our guest today. For show notes and links to all of his projects and his book, you can go to markgraben.com slash mistake74. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, and how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. 
I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Since every podcast asks you to do it, it would be a mistake if I didn't ask you to please follow, rate, and review. But most importantly, thank you. Thank you for listening.